and thanks for listening to this episode of the Mount Sinai Health Partners podcast. I'm Rob Field, CMO for Pop Health here at Sinai, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, Mike Berger. I'm excited to, to talk about some of the, the new frontier of data and how we use it in Pop Health. So thanks for joining us, Mike. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. So um, how do you end up here, Mike? Tell us. Uh, you have a crazy story that we probably can't even get into. You've traveled the world, but tell us how you got to Sinai and why you do what you do. Uh, so so my, uh, my elevator speech... Uh, <laughs> Uh, after college, I was an engineer, uh, ended up in consulting, so got to travel quite a bit, uh, became a road warrior for several years, uh, eventually got tired of fixing other people's software, so right. started making my own crappy software and uh, <laughs> sold that, exited after a couple of years and uh, sitting on the couch, enjoying uh, my, my exiting dollars and uh, <laughs> girlfriend, now wife, was like, I'm sick of seeing you on the couch, go get a real job. So I ended up in healthcare, <laughs> uh, really by accident, uh-huh. and uh, had my aha moment a couple months after working. I was at uh, North Shore LIJ, mm-hmm. and uh, just saw this massive opportunity to align sort of really good work, really good uh, need mm-hmm. in, in a good mission, and it all just sort of came together for me. Um, sort of owe it to Susan Somerville. She was the one that sort of put me on this amazing course and uh, moved into more enterprise roles. And yeah. just my career has really vaulted since then. Yeah, uh, It's been great. I've been sort of riding the data is the new bacon wave. Right. And uh, it's it's been fantastic. Uh, so I came here after a stint at Geisinger, after mm-hmm. a stint at a health plan, um, and have uh, just really been able to build something cool. Uh, The team has grown quite a bit since I started. It was originally just me, and now it's uh, uh, almost a couple dozen people trying to uh, turn data into insight every day. Yeah. And those of you that are listening, we we had a previous podcast with a member of your team, with Amanda, and on more, you know, how we use data in daily operations. But I think, you know, our conversation today was when to think, big picture in terms of where you see the the future going in, in data and there's um i know in a in a presentation that you gave you, you there were a couple comments i wanted to ask you about one is you talk about using data as an as an asset um which i think on its face seems really a, like a simple concept but it, it seems like you mean it in a deeper way and i'm curious as to what you mean by that yeah it's um a uh, great question, and and I actually really appreciate the opportunity to kind of tell people uh, what it really means. Uh, it it doesn't just mean valuing data uh, and hoping that we have enough of it to make decisions. Uh, it's really about investing in data, and and that's what it is. It, it's an investment. Uh, data isn't free. The people on the front line uh, need to be given the time uh, to you know, produce good data, to, mm-hmm. to enter data accurately. Um, the investment comes from not only giving them time, but the technology being configured or customized in a way um, where data is, is entered correctly. And if it's entered correctly, it flows through, mm-hmm. and then we can turn it into insights. Uh, and, it, and I don't just mean like everything has to be structured, but people need to... Um, be keying in certain elements. Like we've learned recently, uh, who the employer is, is is not a required field in any reg system that we have here at Sinai or most Mm. of them. And so uh, it's never entered. And then when we wanna try and understand uh, the size of an employer relationship, 
because we want to go and do business with them directly. We, we literally cannot tell them, uh, this is how many of your employees we see on a regular basis because mm-hmm. we don't track it. So treating data as an asset is about making sure it's produced well. And, and we understand that's going to cost money. It, it might mean more people to do registration because we slowed the process down. But we, we get paid on the back end when we can take that and, and use it to create new business, to drive value. Mm-hmm. Do, in Can we expand that a little bit so that you're that's focusing more on the on the data coming in, right? And yep. and giving creating the space and the tools to gather it effectively. How about going back out? Um, you know, do you have a, a philosophy? You know, we always hear people talk about the gap between data and information, right? How do you view that? Yeah, it's uh, so. So um, one of the things I I speak on at conferences is this idea of decision centricity. Mm-hmm which is really about uh, not getting lost in trying to create the perfect process, but understand where you have resources that, that you're, you're paying usually a lot of money to make cognitive decisions. Mm-hmm. And our job as an analytics team is to help them make decisions. And, and the reality of healthcare is there's a whole lot of decisions that have to be made right. uh, every time a patient's in front of you sometimes before the patient is in and even after the patient leaves, our, our hope is to help those decisions happen at scale, at speed. So we want to tell the doctor or the MA or the practice manager everything they need to know to make that next decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we want to do it at scale. We want it to be timely. We want it to be robust and complete. Um, and the, the other part is when we push data out, uh, something that we're trying to do more of, the technology isn't really there yet, but we're, we're trying to hack at it, is to really create feedback loops. Mm-hmm. We, we want to know every time that someone looked at something that we teed up, did that help them make the decision? Did they agree right. with that decision? Did that end up being the right decision? So we can take that feedback and build it into the model so that we can make better information available to them in the future, mm-hmm. uh, so that's that's the concept of decision centricity. It's this, you know, not continuous business process reengineering, which is just really hard and really right. starts to wear on people after a while. Right. It's about allowing people to make good cognitive decisions at pace. Right. And then then we'll see where we go from there. B- business moves just too fast right. for us to just continuously reengineer the process. Do you think you, you mentioned that? The, the technology isn't quite there to create those feedback loops. Does, does it exist in other industries and just not in healthcare, or does it really not exist effectively anywhere as far as you can tell? No, no it, it definitely exists. Um, CRM platforms mm-hmm. are probably the great equalizer. So any organization that has one, and, and we're looking to, to implement one at scale. That's a customer um, relations. Yeah, customer relationship management system like Salesforce, and, mm-hmm. then, and there are others. Um, having those, that there's a lot of, uh, a lot of that built in. Uh, obviously, you have to configure it. You have to, to work with it. Uh, but there's also um, uh, marketing and retail have probably been the most aggressive right. to understand what does the consumer of the information use and not use about what you push forward. Right. And you see that in ranking systems like Amazon, Netflix, where they've really honed their model because they're continuously using the feedback built in by how you made a selection, what you decided to buy, 
what you didn't decide to buy, how it many times do they have to thing. show it to you? Right. That those same concepts we can start to use in healthcare. Right. Um, we could put that into the EHR. We could put that into our uh, mobile applications that are either physician facing or patient facing, and then we can learn. We mm-hmm. can learn from what it is that they liked or didn't like or or agreed with or disagreed with. What did they follow if we're, in terms of trying to steer a patient or a provider towards a certain decision? Right. Is that, in your mind, that's an AI-fueled process? I'm an artificial intelligence-fueled process, right? Like con- uh, continuing learning, or does it not necessarily, those things aren't necessarily equated in your mind? Uh, no, it, it's definitely a key component of it. Yeah. The, uh, the, the engineering of it is, is the harder part. Yeah. The, the AI models have actually been out for a while. Right. Uh, the technology of clickstream and then putting that into machine learning uh, models, that, that's actually been really perfected and you know now we get the benefits of that that's it's been highly democratized um the hard part is getting the infrastructure to the person to the decision maker whether that's the patient the provider the staff member the leader uh with something that's listening and then recording like like clickstream Right. When we think about the that feedback loop, as you were saying, and, and you mentioned it, putting it back in the HRs, we've struggled, as you know, getting our frontline providers to engage in anything outside of their own platform, which is understandable, right? It's their work. I, I get the feeling that the EHR vendors are are one of the tools that are pretty far behind in creating these feedback loops. Is that your sense? Like, it's not really on the analytics technology side. It's all on the help like healthcare delivery side? Uh, I think that's that's absolutely true. But in um, most core products in other industries, you, you do see the same thing. Uh, in banking, the the uh, financial deposit system is, is this highly transactional-based system. Doesn't give you a ton of feedback, but it does record every transaction. And then, you know, whether they're analysts or data scientists, they're using them to try and, and learn things about consumer behavior, about fraud, about all sorts of things, uh, and that's fine. The, the feedback loop doesn't have to be uh, as real-time, uh, and it doesn't obviously have to be as robust because there's all these built-in processes that are just being followed. Uh, and, th- and there's also not a lot of change happening right. in those industries relative to where we are. So I, d- I don't blame the EHRs for being where they are. Sure. Um, the, the thing that other industries that we can learn from is – they have created this ecosystem where the core system starts to become more embedded in their CRM system uh, because the most important thing about any company is the customer. Right. So the system that manages the customer the best should be the most important one. The deposit system or the EHR is, is depending on your industry, is just part of the picture and CRM, which isn't necessarily just an application, it may be an ecosystem of applications, right. including the EHR, right. including various analytics modules. And amazingly, America sure. has, you know, with, with um, uh, adopting Fire as, mm-hmm. as a standardized protocol, has given us the tools. Now it's up to both the EHR vendors and, you know, e, um, health system IT shops to start to all up their game to be able to really take advantage of this. Yeah. Uh, so the technology is actually not that far behind. Yeah. 
but our appetite for risk to try and really carve open the tools mm -hmm. and really leverage it this way, it's, it's not there yet. Right. What, uh, in your experience, you know, you've worked on the you know, non-healthcare side and obviously on the payer side and now on the delivery side. And, and I, I get the sense that, um, you know, historically, we've got pretty good at ingesting claims as imperfect as that can be and, and getting better at using our EHR data more effectively. Are there new data streams that are out there that you get excited about? Like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could marry this, I will say, usual data sources to these other <clears throat> things? And what are those other things that you get kind of fired up about? Yeah, um, th there's... Uh, We've been calling those non-traditional data sources, but that's quickly not true anymore. Yeah. Those, those are starting to become traditional. Uh, social determinants of health is now becoming table stakes. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a big one. And it's, it's almost like we figured out how to buy it and then enrich it with our own social work and care management group if it's tracked well enough in the mm -hmm. EHR or whatever the pop health tool is. Uh, social determinants is huge, but all of this other consumer data mm -hmm. uh, is really where we see the panacea. Um, uh, you know, understanding people's uh, financial transactions, what they're doing, maybe even what websites they're going to. Uh, there are clever ways for us to start to learn that. Maybe not at a specific person, what they call a deterministic level, but maybe just at a probabilistic level. Yeah. We have certain patient populations and they're doing these kinds of things. They're going to these types of events or websites or purchasing these types of things. Mm -hmm. uh, and that could be, there could be signal in that. That's what's so great about AI is we don't have to necessarily understand what's causing things. Just seeing the correlations mm -hmm. can start to give us a step towards influence right. and being able to understand uh, how to affect change. Right. If you can put your data scientist hat aside for a second, you think about it just as a, as a human, as a you know citizen of the United States. Does that scare you at all? Like the the idea, even if it's used for using air quotes here for good, um, you know, as as you know, you know, we working with with our data even on social determinants and using purchase data has created some level of anxiety when people hear about it, and you're talking even bigger, uh, you know, especially in light of you know the public Facebook issues and other social media issues of data sharing and how they've used it for all sorts of ways that we weren't aware of. Does that freak you out at all? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, ethics was one of my favorite grad school classes. <laughs> uh, ethics around data. Yeah. Uh, we're we're early on to see uh, what the true ramifications are. Uh, the good thing is, I think we're really conscious of. As consumers of this this data, I, I, before I take off my data science hat, um, <laughs> you know we we're really conscious to try and uh, make sure that we're not introducing bias, yeah, which is sure. a huge risk. Right. Um, if you're really sampling point. data, if you're training data is too biased towards a certain race or population, mm -hmm. you're going to start making uh, uh, assumptions about that race, right, and and try and scale that up to all populations, which, which creates bias, which uh, is, is not a good thing. As uh, a citizen of the United States, where we have decent privacy laws, better than some countries, not as good as others, uh, I'm certainly extremely conscious of the breadcrumbs and the digital footprint that, we, that mm -hmm. we're leaving. 
certainly freaks me out, but but I do get that there is this um, you know youth growing up, and this is all they know, mm-hmm. and um, that digital footprint is part of their uh, their makeup, and they they have embraced it, and I think we as um, an industry you know need to understand it, need to try and be opportunistic but still respect people's rights to privacy. Sure. And in healthcare, obviously, we have a pretty high bar. Right. Um, so I, I, I don't think we're, I don't think we put ourselves out there. I think we've been really conservative with the risks that we take. Yeah. So I feel pretty good about it. When you think about, you know, uh, your work in your career thus far and, and moving ahead, what, what gets you just generally the most excited about the future and what you're building either, you know, in healthcare or beyond, like what, what gets you the most excited about the potential? Uh, so, so, um, you know, we're, we're on this journey towards analytics maturity mm-hmm. is, is the Gartner, the IBM term for it. Uh, really seeing our industry, really seeing like even my own team, uh, moving up this chart, moving away from just describing problems to actually prescribing decisions that can eliminate a problem that we can really start to optimize and and achieve value at scale Uh, companies like amazon and google and netflix and and uber they have this fantastic reputation of using data as a, a competitive advantage and it's wonderful to be at an organization that wants to get there certainly not there yet uh, and we haven't scaled, but we're on this journey. And, and we can see it in the projects just that are even lined up for 2019. Uh, we're building up the skills. We're trying to educate not only ourselves, but our stakeholders to ask us really hard questions that are going to take us a while to answer. And we may fail, but that's pretty darn exciting. That's, yeah. that's definitely what's the most motivating. When people are asking us for things to help eliminate uncertainty right. versus to just describe the past. Right. That's definitely what's what's getting more exciting and more yeah. and more exciting about my role. I bet. There was in one of the presentations you gave, there was a, a a quote that I don't have in front of me, but it was it was talking about the efficiency versus effectiveness and, and it sort of made me what you just said made me think about that a little bit. It it seems like a, the low-hanging fruit in terms of use of data is to uh, measure and build efficiencies, which is fine. But it sounds like what you're saying is using data more broadly to figure out how we can be most effective, and they're not necessarily the same things, right? Like, is that well? Well, there's there's this inherent fear and hype around AI as putting people out of business uh, <laughs> and, and across every industry. Yeah, physicians. <clears throat> Nurses, um, uh, data scientists uh, across the board. <laughs> sure, uh, every every role will be affected, and, right. and I I do think every role will be affected. I do think uh, non cognitive, highly repetitive roles. There, we're going to start to find uh, ro- ways to create you know RPA type robotic uh, automation and create efficiencies, and and the work that's left will be creative. And innovative and collaborative and uh, cognitive, uh, the things that are really hard to get a computer to train. Mm-hmm. So, you know, certainly we're uh, excited about what this could mean. Uh, th- this 
new set of tools that we have to bring to our business to really transform healthcare in the way other industries have been transformed through, you know, just-in-time distribution, mm-hmm. um, uh, just just much more uh, aggressive with their ability to manage value through the entire supply chain. We want to get to that point too. We want to be uh, clever and aggressive and take some risks. And you know, to do that, you're going to have to create bandwidth of resources and dollars. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you're going to have to find ways to take waste. And, and if anybody has a job that's highly repetitive and, and they probably think it's a little dull, that's a really good candidate for us to try and, if it's possible, to automate. Right. And I, I'm hoping people see the value in that in moving to a role that's more cerebral mm-hmm. rather than um, the safety of just because they've always been doing the same thing. Right. Well, Mike, we're about out of time, but I, I uh, really appreciate your work, and um, and we're we're lucky to have you on our team, um, and I appreciate your time. Well, thank you so much. Uh, same here. Really appreciate the, the time. Yeah. And if anyone listening uh, has ideas for future podcasts, please email me at robert.fields at mountsinai.org. Uh, thanks for listening.